The ecosystem of our streets, including infrastructure, behavior, and technology, continues to evolve. As we look ahead to the future, particularly following what may be one of the deadliest years ever when it comes to pedestrian and cyclist injuries and deaths on Toronto streets, we must consider how this evolution will impact the numbers and safety for all road users next year and indeed in the years to come. On previous episodes of Street Peace, we've discussed why empathy and education are crucial to keeping our streets safer. Yes, design and infrastructure is very, very important, but in the meantime, we all have to treat each other with more civility and more empathy. But now we'll look ahead to the next 5, 10, 15 years, into the future to consider how the inevitable arrival of smart technology, autonomous vehicles, uh, and the like will affect the roads and its users. It seems, at first glance, to be quite a promising outlook when we talk about street safety and a reduction in injuries and deaths. You're listening to Street Peace, a new podcast from Truce TO and RSA Canada. It's a show advocating for a 360-degree approach to improving street safety in Toronto. With collisions involving pedestrians, cyclists, and drivers on the rise, now is the time to discuss the role that, frankly, each of us plays in keeping our streets safe and decreasing the number of tragic incidents on our roads. I'm Ken Evans, a CSR partner for RSA Canada, and I'll be your guide in this podcast series. Joining me on this episode are two great guests. Uh, As usual, Donna Ince, Senior Vice President of Personal Insurance at RSA Canada, and uh, we're uh, very happy to welcome Sasha Sood, Director, Smart Cities at Mars Discovery District. Thank you very much uh, for joining me. Thank you. So let's get into it. I mean, as we discussed on the last episode with an emphasis on education, uh, we also have talked a lot about how our roads have changed a lot uh, over the last several decades. So we have bike lanes, new infrastructure, new buildings, the whole bit. So we have to uh, anticipate, and that's obviously had a contribution to the injuries and fatalities that we've seen on our streets, particularly with pedestrians. As we look ahead into the next uh, 10 to 20 years, we can imagine that we're going to see, and we can already anticipate, a lot more change. Um, So, Sasha, I mean, you're responsible for leading the development of the Mars Transportation and Urban Mobility Program. You're obviously tapped in uh, in terms of what's happening from new innovations, um, you know, the notion of the smart city. The city is obviously in Waterfront Toronto's in discussion with Sidewalk Lab. So when you look at the future of Toronto specifically, um, what, talk to us a little, give, give us a, a little bit of uh, an understanding and color into what we can anticipate. Um, great, so I lead the Smart Cities team at Mars Discovery District. Uh, Mars is an innovation hub uh, that's focused on supporting ventures and startups uh, grow and scale here in Toronto and broadly in Ontario uh, to help our companies stay competitive. Um, I actually work on the system side of uh, enabling innovation to be adopted within the smart city space. And what I mean by that is when you look at complex and new and emerging technologies, often they enter into highly regulated, highly complex, multi-stakeholder environments. Transportation is one way you have um, industry launching new products and services. You have traditional transportation providers like transit companies, taxi, um, new ride-hailing companies. You have the insurance industry engaged in sort of overseeing how that's done safely and securely. Um, and you have a number of different stakeholders or actors who help facilitate um, the seamless uh, mobility across geographic boundaries. So Metrolinx being an agency that plays that role within the GTA. Um, and so 
I think some of the big changes that we're going to see in the urban environment are uh, related to population projection. So there's huge trends around urbanization happening within urban regions across the globe. Even here within the GTA, we're anticipating a 30% increase in population by 2040. That means many more people living in the same space, using the same infrastructure. And what we're seeing is that people are looking for alternate modes of mobility because um, commute times are increasing as a result of congestion, as a result of inability for our infrastructure to keep pace with the rate of growth of the population. So that's resulting in you know, a lot of the trends that we're seeing around collisions and, and fatalities, where more people are looking for other ways to move, and that's resulting in, um, and people are getting impatient. They're, they're stuck, they're trying to pick up their kids. There's some people don't get to see their kids at night before they go to bed, simply because they're sitting in traffic. So that's resulting in a lot of the uh, trends that we're seeing around uh, street safety. Um, at the same time, recognizing that there is a market gap around how people move, around, move within cities, we're also starting to see emerging technologies like ride hailing initially, that's now transitioned to ride sharing, which uh, basically means you're able to move people more efficiently. So instead of having 40 cars on the road um, during peak hour, you can have 10 cars carrying the same number of people that, that would require you know, space for 40 cars, so you know, driving efficiencies. Um, we're also seeing emerging technologies like autonomous vehicles um, starting to enter the marketplace initially as semi-autonomous vehicles. And uh, I think there's some huge opportunities uh, depending on how these technologies are directed, depending on how they're coordinated with uh, people, education, and safety, depending on how these technologies are programmed to operate, that can reduce both uh, the fatalities and accidents that we're seeing on the streets, but are but can also have an impact on, um, you know, addressing current constraints around congestion, around commute times uh, that are seeing that are being seen within large urban centers. Uh, Donna, when you when you think about uh, the next ten years uh, in mm -hmm. terms of uh, t new technologies, smart city, autonomous vehicles, so on, other modes of uh, mobility uh, for people to get around. What are some of the things that you are optimistic about? And what are some of the things about the coming developments that that cause you a bit of pause? So, and I, I probably want to relate it a little bit to what we've been doing with Trustio, where we've been primarily talking about pedestrians and uh, drivers of vehicles and cyclists. Now we're introducing another um, another, I guess, person or player into the, into the space, which is the autonomous vehicles, which um, I guess at its very highest level, there won't be anyone um, uh, in, in power of the vehicle. Um, so that, that's another, another player that needs to be, to needs to be committed, um, to be considered. So obviously our expectation is, you know, as you, as Sasha mentioned, you know, these autonomous vehicles, um, need to be built from the ground up. They need to, um, be taking all of these, these, uh, these players or stakeholders into account as well, and and, and we've obviously seen some some um, bad cases of of the vehicle not knowing what to do and and, and making the wrong choice, and and there's injuries. Um, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of excitement around autonomous vehicles, obviously, because um, you know being in the insurance space, uh, the the less people that are injured, uh, the less vehicles that are colliding and and causing uh, damage, the better. Um, but it is, you know, I, I think it's a, a, um, a, a ways off before we're obviously in that space where every vehicle is autonomous. Um, so it is going to take some time. In the meantime, um, there's, some, there's been some great advancements 
in technology for vehicles. Um, but what we're finding is that it's uh, that the, the the upside is that perhaps there are less collisions. Um, you know, that's there's that's still being validated uh, that there's there's um, uh, maybe less bodily harm. Again, still to be validated. The challenges we're seeing is that uh, the, these vehicles are very expensive to repair, um, and that's um, you know that's kind of offsetting some of the uh, some of the other um, the benefits. The other thing is distracted driving. Mm -hmm. So people start to rely very much on these vehicles and the technology um, in them to prevent those um, incidents. And um, and we're still the distracted driving is is definitely. Uh, the negative side of uh, and, and taking away from some of the benefits we thought we would see with uh, autonomous vehicles. So actually, again, coming back to a lot of the work and the research and the uh, coordination that you do at Mars, um, what what are the things when when you think about the future of uh, of cities? When you think about the smart city, do you see it? Um, you know, in do 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 you anticipate safer streets? Uh, do you anticipate? more civilized um, experiences on our streets and more civility between the various players. I mean, talk to us a little bit about how the technology you think will not only influence, uh, you know, statistics, but also behavior. I think uh, a lot of, uh, so, so I think technology can have two types of impacts. I think you can either apply it in combination with the right policy frameworks and in combination with the right incentives or right disincentives to have a very positive impact on you know, the civility of how people behave on streets or roads, um, uh, to have a positive impact on safety and security of people who are using roads, using multiple modes of mobility. Uh, but at the same time, if you're not providing the right incentives or the market isn't given the right signals, whether they're regulatory or economic, you can also end up with diametrically opposite and or negative impacts that new or, or emerging technologies can have. And an example of this that comes to mind that I think cities are now reacting to is you know the impact of ride-hailing companies on congestion within large urban regions. So um, an example that you know very recently made it uh, in the media was New York City is putting a cap on mm -hmm. the number of companies that can provide ride-hailing services in the downtown core. But are they putting a cap also on the number of cars that can be I guess hired by or leveraged by a uh, a company. So my understanding is, uh, for example, Uber can put as many can sign up as many mm -hmm. drivers as they as they can, uh, mm -hmm. and they're incentivized to do so. And so that isn't that the case. I mean, shouldn't there be a cap just on the number of uh, of I, drivers? So I, th I I think it really depends on what objective you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to address congestion in the downtown core, then you it might not be necessarily to put put an to put an absolute cap on the number of drivers that are enrolled or registered into a program. You want to make sure that those drivers that are registered aren't all there at the same time during peak hour when right. everybody's trying to get home um, using multiple modes of transit, whether that's uh, public transit or, or private or um, shared modes of mobility. And I think um, you know taking the time to understand what the potential implications of emerging technologies could be on not just the um, not just the end user but also other users and our citizens what the social outcomes of those new technologies and business models would be on the marketplace understanding what kind of training needs to go alongside the introduction of those business models is a really and providing the right incentives for the marketplace to behave in specific ways um, you know could end up 
um, mitigating the need for you know retroactively addressing worsening conditions when it comes to congestion and or road safety. Um, an example of this when it comes to autonomous or semi-autonomous vehicles is we have different levels of autonomy that's already available in vehicles today. Um, and even though that's market ready and people are buying cars with these features, we haven't seen changes to our licensing process that we see uh, for young drivers or new drivers and or a relicensing or retraining process for existing drivers who learned how to drive 40 years ago in a very a different environment. Yeah, I think, I think uh, there's an opportunity to start to integrate that type of retraining, reprogramming, both for people uh, on a training and awareness perspective, but also putting similar requirements on the car manufacturers that are designing these technologies. An interesting example that comes to mind of different approaches that can be taken is, I just read in the news today, um, that Cadillac has a new autonomous vehicle that has an infrared camera that monitors your eyes and you know gives you an alert if you're not paying attention to what's happening on the road. So it's making sure that you're not looking at your phone, you're paying attention to the road even though the car is in AV mode. Um, so, you know, you have blinking lights, you have uh, the sh seat shuddering to make sure that people are prompted to take to to pay attention uh, when these types of features are uh, introduced and and making sure that you're proactively thinking about what the implications of introducing new technologies can be um, sort of with a wider lens collaborating with all stakeholders engaged in this ecosystem, whether it's an insurance company, whether it's a public transit company, whether it's a traditional uh, private taxi um, yep. company. I think those are all key stakeholders to engage to think a little bit more holistically um, and to think about pedestrians and cyclists as well. And Donna, we talked a lot about the educational <laughs> side in uh, the last episode. Um, and Sasha brings up a really, really good point in terms of the need for, um, for uh, instructions, the need for uh, education. Um, especially as these new technologies come on uh, come on board, right? I think it's a great point. Um, I got a new vehicle about a year ago, and um, the the manual is so thick. I have not gone through the whole thing, and I think about the fact that I probably have. I probably don't even. I probably haven't even maximized or optimized all the features. Mm -hmm. So you know, you're talking about this Cadillac having the infrared. Probably be able to check to see if you're closing your eyes as well, because we know um, a key cause of accidents um, in long haul is people falling asleep while they're driving. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do they know how to turn that on? Is it a feature um, that they can turn on automatically? Does it come on when the car comes on? Um, or again, if you have to figure it out, are you figuring it out while you're actually driving, which then involves um, a distraction that could end up in, in a collision. So it, it's becoming very complicated to own these cars to understand the technology. Um, are we maximizing the safety features um, or are we getting kind of lost in, in, in all the distraction as well? But it is, I think it's a great point. Um, certainly education around how, how vehicles work, how people are moving on the streets, like you said, is a pretty important part of, again, being that respectful, responsible, accountable player on the road, whether you're a driver, whether you're, you're walking or you're, you're cycling, you need to know. Which kind of changes, I mean, when you think about it in the context of autonom autonomous vehicles or semi-autonomous vehicles, uh, all of a sudden that sense of being more of a passive mm -hmm. uh, driver, um, and so that whole notion of uh, when we talk about now and in the spirit of truth to we talk about that notion of empathy and consideration 
and just taking that extra time and trying to put yourselves in, if you're a driver in the shoes of a pedestrian or a cyclist right. and vice versa, when you're in that sort of passive mode, that kind of changes the whole ballgame a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Um, so, Sasha, in, in that spirit, talk to us a little bit about, I mean, just in terms of street, I don't know, uh, not necessarily changing up the grid or anything, but just in terms of how we design our streets and how we think about urban planning in the context of new technology, in the context of mobility, does, do, do things change or is that, that sort of uh, too far down the road? Um, no, I think we actually need to start to do the planning, get the right stakeholders on board today, and that's really a role that Mars uh, sees itself as, as being in a good pos position to do. Um, we're a neutral third party, we're a not-for-profit, we're not pushing for a particular technology and or outcome. We're, we're looking to make sure that we can have sustained economic impact and um, societally positive outcomes as a result of enabling innovation adoption in the marketplace. Um, as it pertains to mobility, uh, we have been uh, actively engaged in this space, both in terms of thought leadership on identifying the need to collect uh, data sets that can help make uh, you know, informed decisions, that can help policymakers make informed decisions and do the right analysis to inform um, to provide better direction for how this marketplace uh, and new technologies come to come to be. Uh, we've also started to actively create what we're calling the Future of Mobility Center, which is aimed at bringing together all of these diverse stakeholders early on in the conversation before you actually launch something in the marketplace to talk about what are the implications going to be when you start to create an AV only zone or when you start to create an AV zone that interacts with, interacts with other modes of mobility. We need to have um, the transit, uh, transit agencies there, we need to have regulators there, we need to have industry that's developing these technologies, we need to have insurance there, we have a lot of the data and, 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 and have a good view on the health impacts of these, uh, of these introductions. And before you actually start to do something in the marketplace that's live and tangible and can impact lives, you actually want to think through what some of these implications could be so that you're prepared for and are collecting evidence uh, for how these technologies can be rolled out, how business models can be framed that can address existing problems that are seen around congestion, around access and equity. Um, off transportation services. Um, an example that comes to mind is, uh, you know, with Uber and Lyft, they have an algorithm which rewards users who use the service more. So you get more discounts, you get better service, uh, uh, you have better ratings. Um, you don't want that same system to translate to autonomous vehicles if they're going to be the way in which people are going to move. Because then you're suddenly creating an economy of haves and have-nots where people with resources are automatically advantaged and have better access to more expensive services and technologies and people who don't have access to those means don't have access or have limited access to these emerging technologies which will be critical for how people mm -hmm. move across cities or within cities. Um, so thinking through some of these um, technical, social, economic implications early on, gathering the data to make evidence-based policy decisions um, and socioeconomic frameworks for launching this is something that Mars is you know, seeing itself well positioned to do and we're starting to launch partnerships that are bringing these stakeholders together to take collective action with, uh, you know, uh, with, having, with these stakeholders starting early on in, in mm -hmm. that discussion. 
when you think about uh, Donna, when you think about um, you know the current the current situation in mm -hmm. terms of uh, we talked about Vision Zero. Vision Zero is obviously to try and have zero uh, deaths uh, on the street um, by twenty twenty one. We're obviously moving in the opposite direction if we look at the stats for mm -hmm. 2018. Um, do you look at technologies and the technologies we've been talking about this afternoon um, and today as a way to to advance the Vision Zero? Do you see do you see new technologies um, helping us really move the bar on 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 you know? principles and, and goals like Vision Zero. Yeah, abs absolutely. And, and we would, you know, we we would do that in the context of our business model, which is about insuring people, insu well, insuring people, insuring cars um, and, and others, third parties that um, that that get injured by uh, drivers that we would insure. Um, we are absolutely thinking along how, as one of those stakeholders that Sasha is mentioning, is um, what does that mean for um, insurance going forward, given that the expectation is we should have less people injured, um, we should have less um, accidents and, la and less physical damage of, of, those, uh, of those vehicles. So uh, we definitely see if, you know, when you were speaking, Sasha, I'm thinking about transformation. This is really what this is, is going to transform. Um, transportation in the um, in the city and how people get around, but it also has those implications of transforming insurance as well. So um, we would see the the go forward is that there will be less um, uh, bodily harm, whether that is uh, you know you're a pedestrian or you're a driver or a cyclist, um, and but there there still will be there still will be um, accidents. I think it's not again not perfect technology. Um, you know all the uh, uh, you know all the worst case scenarios are just, you know someone takes over the network and and there causes all kinds of collisions etc. That's I, I think a bit uh, the, the the very worst case kind right. of scenario. But we insurance does have a role to play. So I wouldn't see insurance stepping out and whether that's um, you know there's lots of discussion about whether the insurance now sits the liability now sits with the car manufacturer because mm -hmm. they're the ones that are manufacturing the, the vehicle and installing the technology buying the technology from other companies I would say you know there's going to be that but there's also going to be there will be incidences there will be people injured I would say at a much smaller rate um, that's when we get to that point where everybody's in a in, a, in an autonomous vehicle there's no human error um, which is which is really 90% of the cause of collision is, is human error so once you take that away there still will be some and I think and insurance has a role to play we we will be there to to support people in 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 um, in that kind of format but we definitely see that likely being a smaller part of our business um, as we go forward mm -hmm. Thank you both for joining us today and uh, appreciate uh, the very interesting uh, conversation about the future of our cities when it comes to road and road safety. That's all the time we have for this episode. Join us next time on Street Peace when we go back to school and discuss the value of driver retraining.